I told you. I was going to tell you my most embarrassing story ever. And I mean, this is my most embarrassing story. I've never told this story in public. In fact, I have told my wife. She is not allowed to tell this story. Apparently, I'm breaking my own rules here. I was 21 years old, the first and only time I've ever been arrested in my entire life. Now, here's what happened. It was church's fault, you guys. And I mean that. It was church's fault that I ended up arrested. The year before that fateful day, I was 20 years old, I was working as a youth pastor at a very small church, and I got an invitation to go preach at another church about two hours away from where I lived in Texas. And so I was so excited, you know, I get to speak to big church, like adults for once. I mean, I was really pumped about it. The problem was I got a really late start that Sunday morning. I was supposed to be there at whatever o'clock and I knew I wasn't gonna make it. So I jumped in my Dodge Neon and I'm cruising down the highway as fast as I possibly can. I mean, I was speeding pretty good. And sure enough, I come over this hill and boom, Texas Highway Patrol is right there. He pulls me over, he gets out, no lie, big brim hat, mirrored sunglasses, the whole deal. And he turns out to be a very nice guy. You know, he's like, hey, look, you were doing whatever, it was and whatever it was, and I've got to write you a ticket. I can't let you off. And I'm like, hey, no sweat. You're doing your job. It's my own fault. I should have left earlier. Sign the ticket. Boom. As he leaves, he says, you've got 90 days to take care of your ticket. And I was like, okay, 90 days. That's plenty of time. No sweat. I went on, preached the message. It was awesome. And then I went back home and I kept thinking to myself, yeah, I need to do something about that. I really do. But remember, this was before you could pay tickets online. Like we live in a wonderful age where, you know, you just jump on the Alberta government website and boom, pay your ticket and forget it even happened. Well, back then you had to call the courthouse You had to give them your ticket number. They had to tell you how much the ticket was because they didn't tell you on the side of the road. Then you had to write a check or get a money order. I had to find an envelope and hand write an envelope, put a stamp on it and drop it in the mail. I had every intention in the world of paying that ticket within the 90-day time frame they gave me, but I didn't. I ended up procrastinating and putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And then I tried to spiritualize it, you know? I'm like, I got this ticket while I was serving Jesus. There is no way he is gonna let anything bad happen to me because of this thing. A full year goes by, honest to God, I forgot all about the stupid thing. So I'm doing another speed run for some reason, I don't know why, and I get pulled over and I'm thinking, well, here's another $200. Except this time, Highway Patrol didn't write me a ticket. He said, Mr. Swayze, do you know that you have a bench warrant? And I'm like, what the heck's a bench warrant? He's like, you have an unpaid traffic ticket. And I'm like, cool, let me give you cash. And he's like, no, that is not how it works. I gotta take you in. I'm like, take me in? And he said, yep, I need you to step out. They slapped on the bracelets. I know when I said as a pastor that I got arrested, you guys were expecting me to tell some fake story about how like, you know, somebody in the church put me in handcuffs and put me in the back of the squad car as a joke. No, this was the real thing, okay? I made a giant mistake and I ended up paying for it. So I went to this local city jail. I sat there for about three hours and somebody came to bail me out. It wasn't my family. It was my boss, the pastor of the church that I worked at. Yeah. That was not a pleasant ride home, you guys. Not in the least, because I don't know if you know this, but it's a bad look for a church to have their pastor arrested, Um, even for something silly and immature and irresponsible, like not paying a traffic ticket. I was honestly afraid that I was going to lose my job. I mean, really, they had every reason to let me go for something like that. Thankfully, they gave me a second chance, and I learned my lesson. 
I think I've had like three traffic tickets since that day. And anytime I get it, I'm like immediately going home and paying it right off the bat so I don't have any trouble whatsoever. Um, have any of you guys ever made any mistakes? Did you make some decisions maybe in your younger, more immature days that you really, really regret? All right, I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. I get paid to tell my embarrassing stories. You guys don't, so I would never ask you to do that, all right? Hey, I don't know what your past has been like. I don't know what sort of stories you carry around where you have guilt or shame or embarrassment in your past, in your life. But if you do, and I think all of us do to some varying degree or level, I want to point you this morning to a story of a young man named John Mark in the scripture. Now, we're in the middle of this series we're calling Characters, and we're taking a look at different people from the scripture. We're looking at the, the, the situations and the conflicts and the stories that they found themselves in, and what we're finding out is even though these people lived 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, wow, their stories sound a lot like our stories. And so if you're like me and you've got that past part of you that you're like, oh, I wish I could forget that. I wish that never happened. It honestly hurts a little bit. I feel kind of bad. I carry that around with me. I want to point you towards this young man named John Mark because John Mark in the Bible makes a very stupid decision as a young man. I mean, a really dumb choice. And it has the potential to derail his life. Like, really and truly, it could have ruined him completely, and it could have very negatively impacted the church and the mission of God because it was that critical of a moment. But what we're going to find out from John Mark's story, and what I hope you guys recognize is true of you as well, is that no matter what sort of dumb decisions you've made in your life, everything can be salvaged by our Savior. Every part of your past can work towards your future. God can use it. And I promise there is nothing you have done that disqualifies you from his love or from his kingdom. So let's look at this passage here. It's going to be in the book of Acts chapter number 15. And I'm going to set the stage a little bit in case you're unfamiliar with the Bible. Acts is in the New Testament, and that means that it happens after the ministry of Jesus. The book of Acts in particular tells the story of the church in the, the months and years immediately after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. So their, their leader, their savior dies. He comes back to life. He ascends to heaven, and all the apostles are looking around at each other like, now what? Well, Acts tells the story of now what? How did 12 men and a handful of women change the course of history? That's what we find in the book of Acts. Now, in particular, we, t we hear the story in Acts chapter number 13 about two men, one named Paul and one named Barnabas. They were leaders in the early church. And so at one point, the early church actually gathers around Paul and Barnabas, and they say, Paul and Barnabas, we see God at work in your life. We think God wants to use you to start new churches all over the region. And so they commission them, they send them out as missionaries and church planters. Before Paul and Barnabas go, Barnabas says, hey, Paul, I got a cousin, he's like 16, 17 years old. His name is John Mark, and he just graduated high school. He doesn't have any plans for the summer. Why don't we bring him along with us? And so Acts 13 tells us that John, uh, rather, uh, Paul and Barnabas take John Mark as their assistant on this missionary journey. You follow so far? All right. They get about two weeks into the adventure, two weeks into the mission, and everything's going well until one day John Mark shows up and he says, hey, listen, um, guys, 
I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going home. And they're like, what, going home? We just got started. We've got like six more months of this. He's like, no, 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 I, I don't want to follow. I don't want to go. I don't really want to do this. It was impulsive. I should have stayed home and played Xbox. Like, I just don't think that I'm going to be able to go. And so he left them. He went back to his home in Jerusalem. We don't really know why. Like, it could have been any number of things. I mean, he could have decided that he didn't like to travel, right? Like, some people just don't travel well. Maybe John Mark was one of those. Maybe he missed Bay back home. He was like, oh, man, I can't leave that girl. I got to go. Maybe he got a job offer. Maybe he decided ministry was not for him. and He didn't want all the pressure and responsibility and difficulty that they faced. We don't know why. But we find out that John Mark abandoned one of the most critical moments in the history of the church, and he went back home. All right, uh, Paul and Barnabas finish out their missionary journey. They go start churches all over. It takes them about a year, and then they return home. Two years in the future from there, and we start picking up the story in Acts chapter number 15. The scripture says, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how all the new believers are doing. So they went on this trip. They started churches. A couple years later, they're like, oh, let's go back and check in on everybody. There was no text messaging, no emails. You had to go visit people face to face. Now, at this point, Barnabas makes a suggestion. He says, hey, I agree. That's a good idea. And let's bring John Mark along. He's grown up a little bit in the last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know he flaked out a little bit, but I think he's good to go now. I mean, he's matured. He's a man. He is 20 years old. I mean, we could trust this kid, right? But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in the region of Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their earlier work. And then look at this. The scripture says their disagreement was so sharp that they separated, that Paul and Barnabas could not agree. And so they decided we better just go our separate ways. We can't even hang out. We can't work together. We can't be friends anymore. And so the scripture says, Barnabas went ahead and took John Mark and he went to Cyprus. Paul chose another man named Silas. And as he left, the believers entrusted them to the Lord's care. Now, can I tell you something that you may not understand or it's not immediately apparent? To the best of our knowledge, Paul and Barnabas never saw each other again. For the rest of their lives, they did not see each other. No contact, no church potlucks together, no reminiscing over wine late one night. I mean, they never saw each other again. And this disagreement, this break in relationship, it happened because of a dumb decision made by a young kid named John Mark. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment being in John Mark's position. Can you put yourself in his shoes? How he must have felt the weight and the guilt that he had to carry around. I mean, he broke up the greatest missionary team the world had ever known. He was like the Yoko Ono of the early church or maybe the Angelina Jolie. I mean, he was breaking up the power couple here. And he had to carry around the knowledge that because of his immaturity, because of his honestly self-centeredness, he had potentially ruined something that could have changed everything. Can you imagine being John Mark 
and hearing Paul, who's the leader in the early church. Can you imagine being John Mark and hearing Paul saying things like, nah, no, 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 that kid, no, he's not good enough. He's disqualified himself from working alongside of us. He's untrustworthy. He is undependable. He is unspiritual. Can you imagine somebody saying about you, somebody you respect, somebody that you look up to saying, nah, your past prevents you from doing anything significant. You had your chance and you missed it. Can you put yourself in his shoes? Of course, some of you don't have to imagine what that's like, do you? Because you've had people look you in the eye and say the exact same sort of things to you. You've had parents, you've had professors, you had pastors in some cases who said to you, hey, look, your past is a problem. There are things that you've done, there are things that you've said, there are ways that you've handled yourself in the past, and it just kind of, I wish we could help, I wish there was something to do, but because of decisions you've made, you don't belong here. You don't fit in with us. You can't serve here. Your doubts and questions, they disqualify you. Your divorce means, sorry, you're not welcome anymore. Hmm? You've walked into churches and they've said, oh, sweet, you're full of tasters and, I mean, tattoos and piercings. Nope, this is not the church for you. You do not belong here. You've had parents that said, hey, you didn't finish your degree And so I don't see how you're ever gonna be successful. I'm so disappointed in you. Your past has compromised your future. Any of you ever had those conversations? Anybody ever said that to you? I mean, it is heartbreaking. It's heart-wrenching that somebody would hold your immaturity and dumb decisions against you. Thankfully, most of you have probably never had those conversations. You've never had a Paul look you in the face and say all those negative things. But can I suggest that many of you are your own, Paul? That many of you have a soundtrack going in your mind saying, you don't fit in here. This is all an act. You don't belong with these people. You don't deserve this position. You haven't earned these blessings. You're a fraud. And if they knew, if this church knew what you had done, they'd run you out of here so quick. If your parents really knew what you'd been up to, they would cut you out of the will. If your boss just understood who you were deep down inside, that would be the end of that position. I mean, you probably have these voices that are running around in your head telling you that your past is a problem, that your history is has affected and impacted your future to the point that you can no longer do anything meaningful or significant. Can I just encourage you to see from John Mark's story where he made a very dumb decision, but he was able to get past it. He was able to move on and then contribute to God's mission in a big way. Can I just challenge you to silence those voices? not to give in, not to listen, not to believe them. The scripture says every Christian has an enemy and one of the names of this enemy is the accuser. 
that he constantly accuses you. He tells you you're not enough. He tells you you're not loved. He tells you that you're a fake and a fraud and a phony. Can I tell you to understand from John Mark's story that your destiny is bigger than your history? That the things that have happened to you or the things that you've done to yourself, yeah, they've been tough. And sure, they set you back a little bit, but they will not hold you back. People see your past, but God sees your potential. When God looked at John Mark, he didn't see the kid who flaked out. He saw the guy who was gonna go on to form the second greatest missionary team that ever lived. God saw his potential when man only saw his past. You don't have to listen to the voices that say you are insignificant or you are incapable of making a difference because your destiny is bigger than your history with God. If that's not true, then what we're essentially saying is God is smaller than my past. That God is not powerful to redeem and transform the dumb things that I did back then, even the dumb things that I'm doing today. Hey, listen, even Paul came to realize that he was wrong. I mean, Paul is a hero of the faith. If you're not familiar with the New Testament, you might be like, dang, this Paul guy was kind of a jerk. No, he is like a hero of the faith. He wrote most of the New Testament. He's responsible for the fact that the the gospel spread to the West. I mean, we are here today because of the work of the apostle Paul, but he was not perfect. He got this one wrong. So check this out. This is really cool. Paul and Barnabas get into a fight over John Mark. Barnabas says, I'm not leaving him behind. I mean, we serve a God of second chances and Jesus was all about grace and new opportunity. And so I'm gonna take John Mark. Paul said, fine, if you're taking him, you better go that way because we're going this way. They separated. And as far as we know, they never, ever had contact again. They never saw each other again. But 15 years later, Paul is writing a letter to another man named Timothy. And in this letter, he writes to Timothy, he includes this line. He says, Timothy, when you come to visit me, when you come my way, I want you to bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. See, Paul thought that John Mark's past was gonna preclude him from serving in some significant way, from making a difference, from impacting the world for the kingdom of God. And he eventually realized he was wrong. Paul came to understand that your destiny is bigger than your history. I mean, Paul is the poster boy for this. If you know Paul's story, it is a doggone good thing that his destiny is bigger than his history. Because if Paul's history was bigger than the future that God had planned, then he would have been in a lot of trouble, and so would we. Listen, you are a person in process, and that's okay. You don't have to be perfect for God to use you. When other people see mistakes and shortcomings and a lack of qualification, I want you to know that God sees his son or his daughter who he created with gifts in order to make an impact on the world. People see your past. God sees your potential. People see your dumb decisions. God sees your destiny each and every time. And I'll tell you that this is so important in this day and age because if we don't understand this, 
If we don't believe that in Jesus our best days are ahead of us and that all of our dumb mistakes from the past are forgiven and forgotten by our Heavenly Father, if we don't truly believe that, we can spiral out of control very, very quickly. I mean, for goodness sake, you guys, this week we have lost two high-profile celebrities to suicide. Why? Not because they were bad people. They weren't but they couldn't be free from their past. They couldn't be free from the voices in their head or the voices in their life that were saying, you're not good enough and this would be a better world without you and this would be a better church without you and your family would be better off if you just fled. I mean, these voices, they're speaking to us every day. The number of voices that are saying those things is far greater than the number of voices that are speaking life into us. But there is a voice that is speaking with depth and intensity and truth and power and love. And it is saying that your best days are ahead, that God can use you. No matter who you are and where you've come from, you belong in this family. You are accepted in this family. Yeah, you might have to deal with some consequences. I mean, listen, every single time I got hired by a church in the future, I had to say, now listen, guys, when you look up my criminal record history, I just want you to know I've gotten arrested and I had to explain. I had to deal with the consequences of it, but guess what? I know that God doesn't hold it against me, and I found a, a group of believers that didn't hold it against me either. It is so critical that you believe deep down in your heart that your destiny is bigger than your history. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think to yourself, you're not turning to your neighbor and saying this. I want you to think to yourself about whatever mistake, whatever regret, whatever past episode, whatever thing that you think disqualifies you from God's love and service in his kingdom. I want you to think about just Put it in your mind. Let's just acknowledge it to yourself. You already know what it is. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. With that in your heart, with that in your mind, we are gonna say this together. It is a declaration of faith that our destiny is greater than our history. You have it in your mind? All right, say it with me. My destiny is greater than my history. One more time, because you've got to repeat this day after day after day. I mean, it's not like, oh, one time, now I've said it, there we go. No, every day you need to remind yourself that you are loved and forgiven and that God wants to use you in big ways to transform your office and your neighborhood and our city and this church. My destiny is greater than my history. Now, you might think the biggest contribution that John Mark made, the, 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 the destiny that he walked into was that he ended up going on these missionary journeys and he and Barnabas started all these churches and it went on to spread the gospel to different corners of the globe. But believe it or not, that's not John Mark's ultimate destiny. That's not his greatest contribution to the kingdom. You see, after a while, John Mark decided, I don't like having two names. I'm gonna go by one name. And he couldn't choose John because there was already an apostle named John. And so he started going simply by the name of Mark. And the biggest contribution that this flaky, irresponsible kid ended up making is he's the one who wrote the gospel according to Mark. That 
was his contribution. That was his destiny. The kid who flaked out, the kid who the pastor said was not good enough and would never amount to anything, he ended up writing down the memories of the apostle Peter and cementing the story for billions of people that would come after him. That's incredible. What a contribution. The kid that nobody said would amount to anything ended up becoming a name that we talk about all the time. Now, I want you to follow me on this because this is really critical. Mark's move from spiritual immaturity to spiritual maturity, it happened when he stopped writing his own story and he started writing Jesus' story. That was the difference. That was the critical moment where he went from being a self-centered, self-focused kid, and then he became a man who would shake the world for the kingdom of God. It came about when he stopped thinking about himself, when he stopped being worried about how much money he made, when he stopped being worried about whether or not you know he had the right girlfriend or the right wife, when he stopped being concerned with his own comfort, with what he wanted in life, and he said, I wanna be a part of something bigger than me. He went from being the flaky kid to being the solid man of God. And it came down to the fact that he gave up his own story so that he could tell an even better story. This is true of you and it's true of me as well. The mark of spiritual maturity is that we stop telling our own story and we start telling Jesus' story. You see, when we come to Jesus, like we originally come to him because of the things that we get, don't we? We're like, oh, he gives us love. He gives us grace, forgiveness, fresh start, new hope, all of those things. But as you grow in the faith, do you understand what you come to realize? That it's not all about getting. It is also about giving, that we are called not just to receive from God, but to release from God. That what we get to put out into the world is just as great as what God has put inside of our hearts. And so whereas there are people who are telling you, no, your dumb decisions and your past and your lack of qualifications, they mean you're never gonna do anything significant. God says, I have filled you with my spirit and my love and I wanna turn you loose. I want you to start writing a better story than the one that you have been writing this far. You see, when we write our own story, we're the main character, we're the hero. It's all about us. Everyone and everything else is secondary. We're focused on our bank account, we're focused on our appearance, we're focused on our reputation, we're focused on our titles. We are focused on our success when the story's all about us. But listen, Jesus wants us to move from success to significance. Jesus wants us to move from success to significance. Listen, this I think was the breakthrough that John Mark had. I mean, I think he, maybe he remembered the words of Jesus, like what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? But in the process, he loses his soul. I mean, at some point, John Mark said life is not about money and it is not about titles and it's not about relationships or comfort or pleasure. It is about something even bigger and better than that. This is what it took. This was the switch that flipped to move him from this flaky and immature kid to a name that we're still celebrating years in the future. Listen, because of your past, some of you are working very, very hard to prove 
those voices wrong. You're doing everything you can to say, no, I am worthy and I am successful and look at my bank account, look at my salary and look at my title and look at my wife and look at all these different things. You are trying to prove yourself to the world. You are accomplishing a measure of success. But can I challenge you to see that success is not enough? Success is not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with earning money. There's nothing wrong with getting promoted. There's nothing wrong with having a hot spouse. Hello, but it is not enough. God wants you to take a step beyond success and move into significance. Now, here's the paradox. You will only experience significance when you let go of your personal success. When you stop living for your story and you start living for Jesus' story, all of a sudden, you become significant. When you stop making good things into ultimate things and you let the ultimate thing be the ultimate thing in your life, it stops being about success and it starts being about significance. So let me ask you this. What is your primary goal in life? What is the number one thing you're after? I mean, it could be, hey, I'm trying to get rich or die trying. It could be, I want to be CEO. I want to run this company. It could be, I want to be the best dad on the planet. You could be any number of things. But can I tell you that you can pursue personal success and miss out on kingdom significance? So sometimes you even have to choose. Which one of these am I going to chase? Which one of these will bring me the most happiness and contentment in the long run? Do you understand? We have people who serve here at Connect on the Dream Team. And they give us, let's say, four hours on a Sunday. And they tell me all the time, I get more significance. I get more benefit. I feel better serving here for four hours on Sunday. And I don't even get paid for it. than I do the other 40 hours a week when I work in my accounting job. Why? Because success is temporary, but significance is eternal. Listen, when you serve back in Connect Kids and there's a family that keeps coming back week after week after week because their son has so much fun, he won't let them sleep in, that is significance. That's not success. You're not getting paid for that, but that's significance. When somebody comes into to church and they say, this is the friendliest bunch of people I've ever seen, then you don't mind standing there holding a door and waving a sign saying you belong here because you are doing something significant. You are a part of transformation, the transformation that changed somebody like me, the transformation that changed somebody like Kim and David, the transformation that changed people all over this city and around the world because you chose to pursue significance instead of success. Hey, last thing, we've got to wrap this up. The story of John Mark is so powerful. Maybe I should just call him Mark. The story of Mark is so powerful. It's so great because ultimately it reminds us that we serve a God of second chances. That the things that you've done, the places you've been, the person you were in Jesus is not the person that you are. And it's certainly not the person that you are becoming. Hey, let's just get honest for a moment. You know, I told this story of my most embarrassing moment because in truth, I need to tell that story. Just like John Mark, I failed. Just like John Mark failed, just like I failed. You've failed as well. We've all walked away from God. 
We've all walked away from his kingdom. We've chased after the things that we thought would make us happy. And even if we experienced a bit of success, we still end up feeling hollow inside. I mean, in truth, every one of us have flaked out on our relationships with God. We've abandoned, we've walked away. We've chased our own dreams instead of the big dreams. And there are voices in your head and they are telling you that you had your chance, now it's too late. But I want you to see that just as Barnabas saw past John Mark's issues, his shortcomings, and he saw his potential, Jesus sees your history and he says, it doesn't compare to your destiny. I know who I created you to be. You don't see it now, but you are going to do something of significance, something that is bigger than you ever thought possible. And it has nothing to do with your title at work. It has nothing to do with the amount of money on your pay stub. It has nothing to do with who you marry or don't. It is something far bigger than you ever anticipated. Hey, just as Barnabas was willing to fight for John Mark, just as he was willing to be estranged in a relationship so that John Mark could be accepted and move into his destiny, that sounds an awful lot like what Jesus did for each one of us, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus fought for me. He was willing to be separated and estranged even from his heavenly father so that I could be included so that my past could be forgiven, so that I could be set loose to move into the future and to do something that would actually change the city of Calgary, perhaps even the world. Listen, the good news of the gospel is that your past does not define you. It doesn't. Your mistakes are not the sum total of who you are. Your shortcomings and your lack of qualifications, they do not prevent you from doing the things that God has set for you to do. Your gaffes are covered by his gift. Your failures are undone by his faithfulness. Your sins are completely and totally paid for by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Hey, earlier when I welcomed you, I said, man, the first time I came to church, I was like, what are these people so hyped about? Like, why are they so excited? That's why. Because when the voices around us and the voices inside of us are saying, nope, not good enough, unqualified, untrustworthy, unspiritual, nope, 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 nope. The voice of God is saying, yes, 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 yes. You, yeah, you, yeah, you. I want you on my team. I want you in my family. They can say no to you. I'll never say no to you. They can tell you that you've undone yourself. You've disqualified yourself. I'll never say that to you because in Jesus, I have proven just how much I love you. 